because Dan Graziano is reporting that Deshaun Watson met with the new head coach of the Texans, David Culley, late last week. And in that meeting, Watson reiterated his desire to be traded and told Culley he has no plans to ever play for the Texans again. Two weeks before free agency, the Arizona Cardinals out of nowhere made what could be the biggest splash over the next month. J.J. Watt, the several-time Defensive Player of the Year, one of the best players who has ever played on the defensive line in the NFL history, agrees to terms on a two-year, $31 million deal that is $23 million guaranteed. That is the value of J.J. Watt, a big-time leader and one of the new faces of the Arizona Cardinals franchise. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. And this week, we're joined by Brandon Scott from Radio 610 and the B-Block podcast. Brandon, how are you doing? You surviving the, the, the what was the, the power outage and all sorts of things in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I did surprisingly well, and I appreciate you for asking. I, You know, it was more of a, a frustration thing that it happened to begin with, and it was more of seeing what other people were going through. But I actually did surprisingly well. Only lost power for a little while, and was always able to find a place to go. So it, it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad for me. But obviously, you know, it was a it was a disaster. So uh glad to be out of that, man, for sure. Yeah, it kinda kinda seems like uh, everything that could go wrong sometimes in Houston in the last couple of years is uh has hit it. And uh definitely some uh definitely some some resilient people across the age, but this week we've got voicemails, video games in your office, and all sorts of things to talk about. But I think the biggest news is definitely JJ signing with the Cardinals. I think when he said he wanted to go for a ring, I didn't really think Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury was the was the destination everybody had in mind. Yeah, same. I think for me, and it's the second name that you mentioned that's the biggest surprise for me is Cliff Kingsbury. To me, that's the biggest question mark. With the Arizona Cardinals, when you look at it, I mean, they obviously have some roster needs aside from signing J.J. Watt that they need to address, I feel like, to become a contender or to be better than the middling team that they were. And I know Kyler Murray got hurt toward the end of last season, but the biggest question mark for me is Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, he seems to be the guy that continues to fall up no matter the fact that he has not been successful almost anywhere that he's been or impressive for that matter. Um, you know, people talk about the air raid. He's supposed to be this, you know, orchestrator of some kind of air raid offense. And, you know, I don't see much of air raid at all in, in Arizona. And, you know, it's, it's just a, a question mark, you know, now JJ Watt obviously bolsters that defense. And, and I think that he makes that defense more interesting. Um, they still need cornerback help. I don't know what the deal is with Patrick Peterson. He's not the same player he was. They've got other <laughs> other issues aside from just, you know, adding a pass rusher. And and I do think that him and uh, that J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones will be a nice tandem at, at, at pass rush. But it's hard to look at the Arizona Cardinals in that division with that coach and think, yeah, that's 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 going to be the breakthrough. It, it's hard to think that. Yeah, I think – Kingsbury it was kind of a shock when he got the job, wasn't it? Because he he failed, reason you know, reasonably speaking, at uh, Texas Tech. Goes to USC, takes the OC job, reneges on that offer, and and somehow winds up with an NFL head coaching gig. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. So, he, he, that that so think about what you just said though. Like that's exactly what happened. He failed 
up twice. You know, like he probably like the USC job. Okay, maybe, but he didn't do well at Texas Tech. He gets the USC job. Doesn't coach for a second at USC and fails up again and gets the Arizona Cardinals job. It is, it is incredible. It is an incredible kind of kind of story when you look at it, like how he was able to pull that off. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to win this year because I think when you watched them last year, they're lim- they were probably limiting on both sides of the ball for whatever reason. On offense, it was up front. Kyler takes some hits, right? And then I think on the on the defensive side, the ball they were you know just kind of some pieces there, but nothing nothing that's going to make obviously. Obviously, their pass rusher missed last year. You got Jordan Phillips there; he's not quite kind of coming in the game. But yeah, a, a surprising one for JJ. Yeah, I, I I saw today someone on uh, NFL Network, and they said that he was never it was never just going to take a cut price deal to go and win somewhere. It was it was a bit of balance of both. And I don't know. I think it's a strange one. I don't know if there's a Vance Joseph element in there. Um, obviously, he was you know the close number two to Wade Phillips, and he obviously he was a big proponent of what and the reason why he was in Houston in the first place. And then you've also got the, the the Hopkins factor, but you know I think everyone's got next season to look forward to going up there on the road and watching Hopkins and JJ Watt playing for Arizona. I think it's probably something that people didn't see coming. Well, I, I'll say this about it: I, I think that there is something to be said for just wanting to be happy and to enjoy where you're playing football. And it's not out of the question that the Cardinals could compete. We just don't see it. You don't see it. I don't see it. The Cardinals being contenders. But it's not out of the question. It could happen. Uh, but more than anything, the connections you talk about, the the comfort level of being there, you know, having some intel on Arizona between, you know, Vance Joseph, Wade Phillips, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is there. Uh, Angelo Blacks and a former teammate of his uh, either, either is there or was there. Um, so you've got that. And and I, I think that when you look at what was going on with the Texans, it became so much of just not enjoying where you were and the direction and just not believing in the team and just being unhappy. So, you know, maybe maybe this is just more of a, a, a move toward uh, being somewhere where he feels good and feels like he can enjoy going to work. Um, the idea of ring chasing, I know, is it's real interesting to us, and I think that JJ Watt is aware of his legacy. But not to go too off topic, but I, I talked to we were talking to Zach Grinky yesterday, the pitcher for the Houston Astros, and someone asked him about uh, about wanting to win a World Series because he hadn't won one, and, and it made me think about JJ Watt, or I thought about that after the JJ Watt signing, uh, because the thing that Zach Grinky said was that. You know, it's not so so much as you can just say, I'm going to win a World Series or I want to win a World Series, so I'm going to win a World Series. Same thing with J.J. Watt. It's not like he can just say, well, I'm going to go to the Ravens and we're going to win a Super Bowl or I'm going to go to the Kansas City Chiefs and we're going to win a Super Bowl. It's just not as simple as that, you know, Um, and and, and that's hard for us to process is you know, uh, content creators and people who are so interested in the game and in the narratives. But for J.J. Watt, it might have just come down to, man, there, here's I, I can get twenty three million dollars guaranteed to go to, to go to a place where weather's nice and I like the people and it, it feels nothing like where I was at. So I, I think it could just come down to that, even though, like you said, yeah, Kyler Murray running for his life. 
uh, you know, the weapons outside of DeAndre Hopkins are, you know, kind of sort of spotty. Uh, and that offensive line is the biggest question mark. And then the de- like you said, the defense. I mean, this is not a this is not a complete team in any way. Um, JJ Watt helps them, but they still have a lot of work to do. So uh, from a competitive standpoint, it's definitely curious. You know, you think, well, why not the Buffalo Bills or Baltimore Ravens? You know, or you know something like that. Uh, the Cardinals, you know, beyond me, but it, it, it could be more. It could be more than just winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's a year to year league, so you, you never know who's going to come. And it's not without the, the realms of possibility. A team that's not all that great win 10 games and get to the playoffs. We've seen O'Brien do that a number of times here in the last couple of years. So it's definitely not out with poss- the possibility um, of them, of them winning, you know, winning, some, you know, winning a couple of playoff games and maybe getting a chance to go run in the postseason. But from that, talking about guys that are unhappy, you go Watson, it comes out almost 10 days after the fact that David Cully um, had a, originally was reported that they met and then it was a, a Zoom call if anybody's following Deshaun and his quest around the country with classic sports cars or whatever they're doing, but it seems on some kind of tour uh, and some kind of business uh, setup he's got in the off-season. But it comes out, um, and I suppose there's nothing new really to report, isn't it, that, you know, that, that Cully's brought in and see what you want about the hire. Um, I don't think this was ever going to be the, the point of inflection that things will change or become definitive, but certainly it seems like we're still at a standoff in terms of the team are not willing to listen to any trade offers. And Watson's, you know, pretty effusive in his position that he will he will not be back. So I, I don't think there's anything to report, but yeah, it feels like the news came out at quite an odd time, I think, when when the Russell Wilson stuff started hitting the hitting the headlines, that then comes out ten days after. Yeah, I think that with Deshaun, we're at a point where, or I'll, I'll speak for myself, I reached a level of fatigue, but I'm also still at the edge of my seat because it feels like there is a deadline. You know, there's this deadline leading up to the draft in April that you feel like is that you feel like is kind of arbitrary, but exists in some way. But you're on the edge of your seat, kind of waiting on something to happen, and the David Cully news was i feel like was an interesting tidbit because we hadn't learned anything new but all it did was sort of reaffirm i think what the belief already was with this situation and deshaun watson and the texans and the divide like david cully david cully's a guy who was on none of our radars you know two even two three months ago not even a guy most of us had ever heard of or could tell you anything about and now, supposedly, he's supposed to be the the bridge between Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Like, it's not realistic. The reports were that Deshaun did this out of respect for David Culley, his, I guess, his age and his, you know, sort of tenure in the NFL, like, just a, as, a, as a respect for a guy. And I think there's something to probably, you know, being a, you know, a black head coach, you want to probably want to show some respect. I kind of know what Deshaun Watson is about in some, some of those respects. Probably wanted to show some respect to the guy. But that's not going to be the difference maker. I mean, what can you tell me about David Culley's offensive scheme or philosophy or or vision for a football team? You remember Nick Casario said, uh, "Was it? Well, yeah, I think it was. It was the it was the David Culley introductory press conference where Nick Casario says, you know, we have no interest in trading the player, and we have a vision 
for the player or vision for for Watson and the team or something to that effect. And no one pushed back on it. I when I think back, no one actually asked the question: What is that vision that you supposedly this vision that you supposedly have for Deshaun Watson? Because um, we can't see it. It seems like this like this thing is is headed for an end. Um, so I, I'd be curious to know what is this, what supposedly is this vision? I can't imagine it being something that would captivate Deshaun Watson at this point. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're at that point where, you know, to, in, in my view, it still seems like a bad idea to trade Deshaun Watson. Like I, I've, I've not reached the point where I actually think that, that it, would be good for the tech. It could be, but it's it's it, it's hard to sell myself on saying definitively that it would be good for the Texans. I lean toward it being bad, so I, I'm still at the point where I'm like, hey man, maybe don't do this. But it's also obvious that, or it at least seems obvious that the guy has no interest in playing for the team anymore, and there doesn't seem to be uh, a solution to that other than to trade him. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad to not personally be in Nick Casario's spot, but I, where I am as far as what the, the news and the narratives are is, is, you know, the thing about Nick Casario not taking offers or listening to offers. I don't believe that this, this you know, these funny stories that we hear about him not answering the phone or maybe there have been voicemails. Maybe there have been situations where he didn't answer the phone. But I don't believe that he's not entertaining offers because that would just be, you know, that would be negligent. That would be idiotic. You know, he wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't listen or or at least know, have a, have an awareness for what the market is for Deshaun Watson. Like That would just be ridiculous. So I, I don't believe that. Um, as ridiculous as things are with the Texans and as ridiculous as we know things can go over there, I don't think that that part is happening. Um, but I, but I, I would agree, though, if their stance is still that, hey, we don't want to trade Deshaun Watson. We still want to see if there's any chance that we can keep Deshaun Watson. We are hard stop against trading him. We'll listen because that's our job, but we still don't want to do it. I tend to agree with that. Um, so that's where I am with it. But I am on the edge of my seat to see what they could get for Deshaun Watson or, or or at what point do they finally pull the plug on this thing? Um, because it, it's just so fascinating. This never happens. Um, you know, I, I, I was saying this on my podcast, I think last week that, you know, for me, as far as with trading Deshaun, I, I, I'm not at the point where, hey, you just trade him just because he's unhappy or just because you're at this impasse or just because it seems unavoidable. I still feel like you go at it with an attitude of, hey, I, I have a we have a price for Deshaun Watson. We have an expectation for what we want to get. And and to to sort of figure out what that what that actually is. You know, to me, it's you know, it's the it's the Jets picks. It's the it's the getting your pick back from Miami. It's it's Trevor Lawrence. And then you've got this next tier of ideas of, the you know, the Carolinas and Denver's of the world. The Chicago's of the world who want to be in the mix, who I don't see as much being in the mix until there's there's a more imaginative kind of deal out there that I'm that I just don't know of. So, you know, I'm not I'm not here for, hey, just trade him, 
trade him because he's unhappy and because he's never going to play here again. No, figure out what the actual best deal is, and if it's something that you know, if it's if it's something of the caliber of, of what I think the Jets could offer, what Miami could obviously offer, or what uh, I mean, obviously what Jacksonville could offer, and I think that's far less likely. Um, then you do it. Yeah, I think that it's funny because you think if if there was to be a point where they fix it, and you go back to that scheme point you made, like what is David Cully's scheme though? You've kind of kept. Tim Kelly around to hope hope that you know they say well we'll just run it back with the same scheme that let's be honest took four four years to get there with them because you know there's a lot of option routes well you know at the at the line of scrimmage reads all this kind of stuff it takes time for any guy coming from the college game to to mentally get to that level to tune into that to actually make it work and and we saw the amount of resources that they just plowed into that offense scheme to to try and make it work and. And we know how talented he is, but even with that talent at quarterback, it still didn't look all that great apart from times at last season, uh, which might well be his last ball for the team. But as you said, what, what's the scheme? What's what's the philosophy? What's what's going to change with Pep Hamilton as a as a quarterback's coach? It, yeah, I, I just think if if you're Deshaun, you said, well, you wasted the time you had with me in my rookie year, or rookie or my rookie deal. How can I possibly look at this roster? Or look at the, the setup and the changes you made without consulting me and get me to buy in. I just don't see how that's going to happen. And I, I think that the outcome is possibly just the hardball of both sides. Unless some team comes in and, and, and makes an offer, literally they just can't say no to. But I think, as you said, unless it's one of these teams who've got multiple or two of the teams, plus Jacksonville, who've got the first overall pick, which is kind of worth more than, say, the third or fourth pick. But unless you've got a team that's going to come and give you you know, that doesn't have multiple picks in one year in the first round. It's got to be, for me, it's got to be three first, three seconds and three thirds or something to that effect with, with players. And it's just like the ultimate price you can pay. And it was just something you can sell. But then I suppose the only way you sell and you turn the page is by having a replacement at that position. And that's pretty, going to be pretty hard to come by unless they're in the, the couple of the top positions. And you've seen, you know, it's been a well-versed stat or a, or a, or a, or a or certainly that everybody's aware of that in the last 15 years, there's a single quarterback draft in the first round still on his team uh, before the Mahomes and, and Watson class from, from uh, 2009 to, to 2016. So, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to lose and little to gain, I think, but I think that, I mean, this season's a write off anyway. So I've been of the opinion, well, why don't you just let him sit, save the money on the cap. He can accrue over $20 million in fines. And does his value change in a year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a fair question. I would even go, man, I would even go before that uh, and a step ahead and say, you know, I don't think it's so much about him changing his mind about the Texans as it is because, you know, why would he do that? But it, it could be more so him changing his mind about whether he is willing to sit out. You know, I, I was thinking about this before before we we got on here, like so much of the conversation about what he's willing to give up centers around like the money and the fines and all of that. And I think Deshaun Watson is unique in a situation like this from the players that we normally discuss in these kind of, in these kind of scenarios and that he's already made so much money. He's rich enough to, to say no to a, a, to a certain amount of money, but I, I'm not going to dismiss the idea of maybe he doesn't want to, you know, 
maybe he's rich and also just doesn't want to say no to the money. And aside from the money, there's a pride factor in playing and and wanting to be out there and wanting to add to your legacy. You know, Deshaun Watson just came off of a career season, the best season he's had by a lot of metrics, you know, the best or top three quarterback in the league last year. Um, it's it's why the discussion is is so uh, you know is it, it, so interesting as it is right now, and you, you think that he just wants to you know not follow that up, you know, just <laughs> like you're coming off a career year, your career high, and and you don't want to play anymore. Like I, I'm not opposed to the Texans rolling the dice on that. I don't think that they would be. It would be you know, a bad idea to, to say, Hey, I don't, I don't know if Deshaun Watson really just doesn't want to play through 2021. I don't know if that's actually going to happen. So there's a chance he even comes back. Um, now to your point, it's probably a better idea for Deshaun and the team. Like that's what I'm talking about is more, you know, competitive legacy macho stuff, but as far as strategy might be a better idea for, for both of them to, Especially if you don't find that deal that you like to sit it out. Seasons a wash, like you said. Um, Deshaun Watson's got nothing to prove. Um, if things could be amicable, you know, they could figure out a way where he could sit out. You know, they could agree to it and he could get paid and, you know, it doesn't have to be a fuss. Now, obviously, there's some conflict and I don't think that's what's going to happen. But um, but I could, I could see that being a, a better play where, hey, let's – Let's let things cool down a year. Let's at least give David Cully a chance. Let's give Nick Casario ch- a chance to have a draft and a free agency uh, cycle and figure this thing out. You know, see, see at least see what it looks like through the year. You know, if you're not expecting to win, at least be sort of monitoring the process and see how you feel next year. You know, um, <laughs> I think that's I actually think that that is in play, especially if what the Texans, if the best the Texans are offered is one of these lesser deals that we don't think would be uh, would be wise. You know, like I said, there I think there's a standard for what you trade Deshaun Watson for a lot of what you mentioned, uh, you know, three first, three seconds, three, three, you know, it's got to be, or, or, you know, or, you know, a package of proven players. Uh, along with some of those draft picks, something to that effect. Like it, it's it, it, it can't be, um, you know, just because the guy's unhappy. You know, that's 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 not that's not going to work for me. Yeah, he's under contract, and he he, he happily banked that signing bonus, and uh, and he's never played a down under that contract. So it's uh, there's a bit. I suppose it goes both ways, and you start to see that bit of where does you know because I think the the notion that there should be no player ever bigger than the club, right? And that's that's always, always that you know it's always true in every sense of it. But I think that the issue is when you've got you know the ownership issue where no one trusts the owner, and no one trusts the owner of the people have hired. Therefore, by default, I've still got questions about Nick Casario, and will continue to have questions about Nick Casario considering the head coach that he hired is only the real big move that he's made. It's all questionable. So therefore, you know, it's, it's obvious it's a talent deficient season because if he became disenfranchised with the club last year, after having a trying season when they lost a lot of close games, one possession, 
late on, late fumbles, twice against Indy, last second against Tennessee in the division. You know, all this kind of stuff. If that grated on you, try and play with this mob next season because it's going to be it's going to be worse in terms of results because the talent's taken a step back. If that was possible, it would certainly seem. I know we've still got to go through free agency, but in the draft, but. You know, unless they kind of get you know almightily lucky, then I think it's it's a it's a challenge. Do you think that Rand? Do you think there's something a a theory that I've kind of had, and it's reading between the lines a bit. And like I never thought you'd ever question Watson's character, and I think you 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 know as as a guy you probably can. But you know, as as you go through life, you you, you change the people you're around, and especially when you move, you know, he's not he's not he's not running with the guys he the, you know that he. They used to hang about with as a kid. He's, he's moved on. He's gone to college, and his his life's again changed. And do you, do you think now that he's got you know? And I when I see Quincy Avery being really vocal in the media, when I see his agent continued to be even more of a presence, I suppose you could say the agent's probably warranted it with his position in terms of his earnings and and, and the clients he's got. Um, and then you see the kind of sort of kind of Instagram kind of personality persona of his of his other half. Do you think just the kind of people he's surrounded with slightly changed, and maybe that plus the the player power that's definitely coming into this league, and and of course the media want it because it makes great headlines, but the sort of the the ability to stand up against an organisation which previously they didn't have the ability to do. Um, do you think those two combined is kind of maybe making them make choices and follow advice that he wouldn't have previously? I do think that there is a heavy influence from all of the characters that you mentioned. Um, I don't necessarily think that that is the reason. I, I think the money, I think the money can change you a little bit and makes you more flashy. Like he just yeah. he just came into a lot of money, man. He really did, and so I think we are seeing that. I think these are probably interests that Deshaun perhaps had already, you know, the cars and a lot of the flashiness, the the trips and and just the sort of uh, one thing we've said at the radio station at Sports Radio 610 is that Deshaun is going Hollywood. You know, he's gotten he's gotten paid. And I and I again, I think he's always had sort of these interests and these people have, have been in his life for a little while now. Like they didn't just arrive. I know the girlfriend is uh, has been around for maybe a year, year plus, and you know he's been, he's had Quincy Avery and uh, David Mulugeta in his camp for a while. Like these people have been around him for a while, but I think what's happening is is that with their success and all of them, you know, to in their respective lanes, have had increased success over the last couple of years. Have um, you know? increased wealth profile in their own little respective corners of what what it is that they do you know whether it be the agent the quarterback the uh the influencer and 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 brand specialist that the uh that the other half is uh Quincy Avery as the quarterback coach like they're all sort of emerging around this same time and together and so I, I think that there is something to that. And I think that they are finding their voice and have opinions. And those opinions don't necessarily align with what um, fans want to hear. And, and and maybe not even what's in the best interest of the team, but more so in the best interest of themselves. I understand that to a degree. 
Um, I think it sucks for the Texans because just from the from the standpoint that Deshaun Watson is really the only thing that they've got going for themselves as an organization. So the idea of losing them is devastating. But I I understand their perspective. The you know the Hollywood and flashiness aside, I can't relate. You know, but but as far as the perspective on what's going on with the Texans, uh, some of the things that are important to them. Um, I don't necessarily agree with all of it, but I definitely understand where they're coming from. And if I'm Deshaun Watson, I I would have had questions about the Texans long before, uh, even before it got to this point, you know. Um, and I'm sure he did. You know, I think I think in times when I've spoken to him, he hasn't necessarily been as open and candid about it as maybe in, in other uh, settings, you know. If you notice that when Deshaun Watson talks to another former athlete, like, you know, like a Carmelo Anthony or a Michael Vick, you know, if you've ever done, you know, done any, uh, li- listened to any of those clips from last season, right before he signed this deal, he's a lot more candid and loose and kind of just says how he feels, you know, uh, with us, he's a little more guarded. I, I feel, um, and, and cause I asked him straight up, Hey, did you, did you see this coming? You know, like when you signed this deal in the offseason, did you did you have a sense for the direction that, that, that you know? Did, were you concerned with what was going on with the team? Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. And he's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you know, no, I'm just worried about playing, you know. Uh, but you know, around that time, he told Michael Vick straight up, "Hey, you know, my situation is different from Patrick Mahomes." You know, it's 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 different here how things are are set up, uh, how, how much I can depend on this organization, uh, how you know how so- what he said was they're solid over there. It's a little different over here, you know. So the questions have been there, um, but you know, to your point, yeah, I, I think that with success has come some. Uh, you know, so, some level of a of an independent streak and their own ideas and their own opinions. I think that camp is influential in his thinking. I do, I do believe that. Uh, but you know, <laughs> they're they're dug in on what they believe. I, I think is a righteous cause um, against how things are being run with the Texans. And even though I don't necessarily agree with every way they're going about it. I can't say that they're wrong in what the point in, in the point that they're making, man. I mean, it's a we all agree it's a, it's an absolute mess. Um, so it's it's just unf- um, unfortunate that you know they worked this long to get a guy like that, and who knows how how long it'll take to get another one. And here you are, you know. Yeah, and I think you could you could say they they don't deserve to keep him. I think that's well, that's exactly that's exactly yeah. what I would say. To be honest yeah. with you, they don't. Yeah, I don't think Cal deserves. I don't think that Cal deserves. You know, a lot of people in Houston. I don't think Cal deserves. You know, and that nothing more fitting was the Sage Rosenfeld. You know, depiction of a story that uh, Derek Carr had been in his office. Cal, for anyone that hasn't listened to this on the Mike Silver podcast, and he'd been up to Cal, and he said, "What's Cal like?" And he said, "You know, I've just been up to his office. There's no desk in there." There's just a giant TV on the wall and he's sitting in his office playing video games. And I suppose there's a bit of you dies inside when you hear that because that, that kind of, his his handling of the team would suggest that that was an element of his 
apprenticeship of his, you know, under his father to take over this team. But instead of you know shadowing people managing the salary cap or you know, and I, I know he, I know when people have talked about he did go to the owners' meetings with his father, and I'm sure he sat there silently. <laughs> And adjusted his mustache or whatever he does, but he, I, I talked about it last week as well, Brandon. When you saw them handing out water uh, to the community, and he gets asked a question from Mark Berman, his wife completely talks over him, and I just thought that was a great insight into what he's like with dominant personalities, whether it be O'Brien, whether it be Easterby, you know, where, whoever next um, that's going to kind of give him the runaround. Certainly not Jamie Roots, um, but. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say when you when you think about how 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 could someone like Jack Easterby gain the type of power that he has? How could he go from where he was and the lane that he was in, you know, in the in within the NFL framework as like a chaplain character coach, you know, pat you on the back, pray with you, you know, talk about your life and that that kind of thing, to like running the team? How does that happen? Well, the only way is for it to be, you know, uh, with a guy that would not that would have video games over a desk, you know, a, a guy like that. Was right? even a, there wasn't even a desk. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't even a desk. You know that that's that's how that's ex- that's exactly how a Jack Easterby could infiltrate an NFL organization yeah. the way he did, because that's because that was the gatekeeper. That is the gatekeeper. That guy. Yeah. So I um, think, you know, if you think of like, like Denver or whatever, you know, where it's like, there's been infighting with the family for a long time about who controls the team and who owns it and all that kind of stuff, but they've never let it. And look, Elway is not a great GM and that's why he's taking a back seat, missed on a lot of quarterbacks, Paxton Lynch being the best, you know, the biggest example of that. But they've just continued to be a normal franchise on the surface and have not let it affect the day-to-day, whereas this is the complete opposite, whereas they trust the non-football people and it's kind of got worse. And I think when you think about it, though, and I think when, you, when you've when you got all that, that, that mayhem going on behind the scenes and you've got a Russell Wilson situation, which in its root is identical in many senses, a quarterback unhappy, he's not had what he thinks he should have had to go and be successful. He has. The difference is he's won a Super Bowl. Uh and they, they've been successful on a period of time with with a you know an experienced head coach like Pete Carroll, but it seems just there's a lot of a different level of respect there for the franchise when he's when he's agent because we've not requested a trade. However, if we were to have a trade request, these are the four teams that want to go to the Saints, Bears, and a couple others. And whereas this is the complete opposite, where it's just nothing's been said in the public light really, apart from one side's unhappy and it's all sources too. Nobody's come out and said definitively, you know, and I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's like having that maturity to say, right, this is, this is, you know, and it has to come from Cal, really. It's, it's kind of, this is where we admit we've done wrong. Uh, and, and he kind of did it with John McLean, but not fully. And he has to do it with a joint front with Watson. And, you know, even if and even if that joint front is to say, we've decided the best thing for both parties is to move on. We've got a great offer from whatever the package Jeff Darlington was on ESPN talking about, uh, that the Bears are desperate and they might, you know, they, they're potentially got the, you know, the, the most chips on the table right now. But if that joint front is, we're going to move on, I think that's a lot better than just blindly going, yeah, we don't want to trade the player. When everybody knows he's not, he's not turning up anytime soon until week eight, so he gets in a credit season. Right. Yeah. No. 
it 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 seems like you know the the word for cow for cal and maybe even jack used to be that they struggle with is like atonement like you you you've got to if not with us you know publicly at least with Deshaun. I know, you know, it seems like there's been a communication issue ever since the season ended. Um, and, and I, like, I don't know how they fix that exactly. Like who, who it is that is most responsible for the communication issue. It could be Deshaun for all I know, but, but, but yeah, no, the, it, at every turn, it seems like they have screwed up the opportunity to do the sensible thing, which you know, like you said, hey, you know, admit where we went wrong, you know, uh, re again, reiterate the commitment to uh, to the player and all the while entertain these offers like, you know, I don't necessarily understand what the strategy is and, and maybe it is driving the market up. I, I couldn't imagine that teams that weren't already interested in Deshaun Watson are now suddenly more interested in him because Nick Casario says they're not listening to, or somebody says that Nick, that he says they're not listening to offers. You know, I think the market for Deshaun Watson is what he like. You either want this guy or need this guy, or you don't. And you know, so I, I'm not really sure how much I buy into to like to that logic of it. So like from that standpoint, why I have this messaging of you know, you know, we're, we're not we're not trading the player, you know. For me, the whole thing seems way just too adversarial, especially since Deshaun Watson's camp or Deshaun Watson himself hasn't spoken on the matter. Um, you know, to me, it just seems like the more sensible thing to be less adversarial and all the while entertain these offers. And, you know, like you can play both sides where you entertain these offers, but you do everything possible to try to massage the relationship with Deshaun, with Deshaun Watson. Because at the end of the day, that's still your best option is massaging the relationship with Deshaun Watson and, you know, basically fixing that as opposed to what the trade could be. Now, now maybe that's less likely than uh, whatever the best trade scenario is, but it's still the best option. Yeah, because you think about Hopkins is still talking about how he only got traded for a second. And I think you can you can probably use that. The, or the the market's not where it needs to be. I think you can use that sense to appease the player and saying, "Look, we think you're, we think the world of you. We think you're worth this three, three first, three seconds at a minimum plus add-ins. Nobody's willing to give that up for you. Therefore, that's why you're staying. If they were willing to give that up for you, we would have accepted. And you think, you right. know, and I, I think that there, there, there's a point where they can do it. But I just think that the parallels between the Russell Wilson situation, which will probably end up Russell Wilson playing next season. In all likelihood for them, but I, I just thought it was an interesting two kind of similar unhappy quarterbacks, stars at their position. One will get be a bit more accomplished than the other, but it, it but handled in a very very different way. But there you go. It's uh, no, as we said at the start, nothing much changed. But he, it's you could dissect it for a long time. But um, let's talk about some actual football and some football moves, Brent. How about that? It's a bit of an, a rarity, I think, with this team. But uh, looks like Will Fuller's going to set 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 and test the market what do you think of that i didn't think it made much sense to tag him um and i don't know if that's an omission of where they are with watson but he looks like he's going to go and test test to see what other teams are going to willing to stump up for him yeah well especially if you know deshaun if there's a possibility that deshaun watson's not going to be there it makes far less sense 
Um, yeah. It makes far less sense to tag him. And, you know, honestly, the the way the season ended could sort of change the calculus a little bit. So uh, t- to me, it was always, you know, kind of leaning toward not tagging him. Um, and and from, what, from what I can tell, it doesn't seem like Will Fuller is even necessarily interested in coming back from from his end. You yeah. know, I know I know he said that publicly, um, but I do think that for, for whatever reason, the idea of being shopped at the trade deadline um, did rub him the wrong way. And and then obviously the way things have unfolded, um, you know, have changed a lot of things. So um, but I I do think that there's going to be a uh, well, all it takes is one team. But I think there's going to be some interest uh, for Will Fuller for teams with cap space. Um, you know, the numbers that Will Fuller has put up and even in limited time, I feel like is going to, uh, you know, still interest a lot of teams. I don't know how much the way the season ended is going to affect the market out, you know, for, for other teams that have cap space um, with him being one of the better options at wide receiver out there. So, yeah, no, I, I'm interested to see what ends up happening. I think it's it's probably best for the Texans and Will Fuller. You know, uh, as, as far as like for Will Fuller, he's probably going to end up getting a, a long term deal, uh, you know, more money. And it, like you said, it made no sense for the Texans to franchise tag. Um, so you're looking at an entire makeover. Um, you're not even entirely sure who your quarterback is going to be um, and complete makeover of the roster. Um, so that that's that's money that you can that you can spend doing something else. Well, that's it. And right now, Watson's the only quarterback on his roster because, which was a probably a probably the biggest shock actually. I think it was releasing Josh McCown. I was, you know, I think he signed them what week? It was it was prior to Thanksgiving, wasn't it? So it would yeah, been sort of early, early October, November. early November. It was early yeah, November. early November. Yeah, that they signed them, and it seemed like it was all aligned, and people were saying he's just the head coach and waiting and. All this kind of stuff. And look, he might come back, but certainly the reports that came out, particularly Aaron Wilson broke it, uh, talked about I want to spend time with his with his kids' high school ball. That he's that he's 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 looking for a coaching option, but that's got to be a big consideration for it. I think he's from the sort of Fort Worth area, and he um and it certainly seems like the I don't know if that was an Easter plan, and that's he's starting to see a bit of Casario purely football influence actually making the right decisions. Um, but but certainly the, the sort of grand devious plan or 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 a layer of it is is proven not to be, uh, not not to be true for for the first time in probably a long time. Yeah, the the Josh McCown thing is like almost reminds me of like golden handcuffs. You know, Jack Easterby's like golden handcuffs for him. He's he's got this opportunity for him. You know, like he's got this. You know, Jack Easterby's infiltrated the Texans organization. He's you know, he likes Josh McCown. They're their buddies uh, from fellowship or whatever it is. And, you know, he can get Josh McCown the inside track. You know, he can get Josh McCown the interview for a head coaching job while he's still on the team. <laughs> like, he can get him an interview while he's still playing. You can get an interview to be the head coach. Never mind uh, position coach, uh, coordinator, analyst, none of that. You can be the head coach candidate, you know, but at the same time, you're linked to Jack Easterby. You know, you're linked to sort of the the orchestrator of this entire mess, you know, the guilty by association, so to speak. 
Um, kind of the same way that Nick Assyria was when he first came in. And so I, I think that that's something that, that Josh McCown maybe has had to reckon with over the last couple of months, um, over time. I think that he's got opportunities way like beyond what the Texans could offer him. So, you know, they, t- they tell you that thing about, hey, I'm going to – and Josh McCown's a legitimate family man, but they tell you that whole thing about, hey, I'm going to go watch my kids play and uh, yada, yada, yada. But that just means, hey, I'm waiting. Call, call me. Call me. That's what that means. Yeah. Call me with, with your, you know, position coach, coordinator opportunities, where, wherever it may be, what have you. You know, he's got ties to, to Todd Bowles. Um, he could sit out a year and follow Doug Peterson wherever he goes. You know, he's got t- – the guy's been around the league for, you know, almost 20 years. Like, he's got ties everywhere. So he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't need this Jack Easterby thing, and I think he realizes that. Um, as much as he likes and respects Jack Easterby personally, um, you know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if you find Josh McCown on this on this coaching staff at some point between Pep Hamilton, Josh McCown, um, who's it? They hired Josh McDaniels' brother to do something, which I'm not yeah. entirely sure exactly what he's going to be doing. Yeah, um, assistant quarterbacks or offensive coach. Yeah, yeah, I'm not entirely sure where Josh McCown fits into the, you know, into the whole makeup of it all. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if you see him at some point. But he's got other opportunities beyond uh, beyond just what the Texans could offer. So, and, and especially. Um, he doesn't need the Jack Easterby headache if he doesn't want to deal with it. So, um, <laughs> but it's definitely a weird, weird thing. You know, you sign a guy in November, forty-one years old. I don't on a know two-year he, deal <laughs> on a two-year deal. Perhaps was never. I don't know if he was active. He was inactive most games, and he interviewed to be the the head coach, and and then he's released. Like it's it is. <laughs> It's, a, it's yeah. probably an underplayed story nationally because so many other things between Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt and all these other things that are going on with the organization. But the Josh McCown thing is just really, really, really strange. Yeah, and my first inclination was just, I think he's seen this as a sinking ship. And if he's going to step into coaching and you don't get many shots at it, it's not going to be here. And he's been enough or around enough organizations to realize that when you've got a good thing going or you don't. And I think he's probably sussed it out pretty quickly in the, in the what four and a bit months he's been around the building, probably not even being in the building all that often um, since the end of the season, if at all, then he's just thought, you know, I, if I'm going to make this step, this isn't the place to do it considering all the, the controversy that surrounds it. But yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting storyline. Probably the, the move that I've respected Nick Casario for making the most was cutting Nick Martin. Yeah, well, you're not alone. I mean, Nick Martin, I don't even think fans and media would even be alone. There, there are people within that building that I think straight up just didn't think Nick Martin was a very good football player. Um, at the very least, didn't live up to the football player that he could be. Um, I, I think that there is something to and one of the more fascinating things about the Texans, particularly with their coaching staff and you know, the previous coaching staff, is how many guys were playing out of position. And and Nick Nick Martin could very well be one of those guys who, you know, I know a lot of people think <laughs> could have been a better guard than a center. And a lot of people think that yeah. Zach Fulton could have been a better center than a guard. 
you know, and then, then it then it reminds you of, you know, on defense they got they got a cornerback playing safety, they got a safety playing cornerback. I mean, they just seem like the, like the like the team with their you know left shoe on the right foot and the and the right shoe on the left foot at every turn. Uh, and, and Nick Martin symbolizes that to me from a football standpoint, and then from like you know the the just the the inner workings of everything. You know, he's a Bill O'Brien guy. You know, he's one of these smart, tough, de- dependable guys. You know, the guy who stole the weight equipment and took it home during COVID to could, could be that hard of a worker, only to show up during the COVID year to give away two. You know. <laughs> Give away a game, you know. Uh, so I mean, it, I, I think I don't want to give Nick Casario too much credit for this move because I think it's it's sort of just a an obvious due diligence. Why pay this guy this type of money for this type of performance? Just a, a basic, sensible cost benefit analysis with with Nick Martin that would arrive you to letting him go um but to that point i don't none of us i don't feel like it's necessarily expected them to do that like i think a lot of us figured that nick martin would be on this team and would probably be their center next year so the fact that he did it is sort of relieving even though i do feel like it it, it is the sensible thing that if if you felt like you were following a sensible organization that would have been something you would have expected them to do you know, or maybe not even expected him to give him the money in the first damn place. But if this is where, where you, you know, if this is where you are, you definitely got to let that guy go. I, yeah, I, he didn't deserve the money. I think that was, and I remember at the time thinking it would be, they had Greg Manser and they had um, his, uh, Fulton there, who, who, who everybody at Kansas City said was a better center than it was a guard. And then he played left guard, but they played him at right guard. And just like Jeff Allen, but they did the inverse, and you 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 wonder if he hadn't got injured in his rookie year, would he be would he have realised his potential? That when you draft a centre in the second round, you got to have that guy on your team for at least two full contracts, and just more wasted picks. And I, you know, I saw a thing this week about if you look at the draft from twenty eighteen, we didn't have any picks. The twenty nineteen, where they had three picks in the first and second round. And, and since then, they've only had one pick in the second round. And none of those guys are looking like they're going to be cornerstones of your team. And you just think, you know, that, that's just, just a glaring reason why they're, why they're talent deficient. But, but yeah, Nick Martin, I think he, he, he had that injury. But then I think when you saw how well Greg Manns did in, his, in that year, with, albeit with Brock Osweiler under centre, and then you had change over at left guard, obviously, because uh, Suofilo leaves. Why you just didn't slot him in there and make less changes to the line was 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 odd. And then you and then you just never know how much people, when he feels like he's doing everything he can, but we know that he's better than what he probably put out. And when you get that free pass by the coaching staff, that how how much do do you do you not give it your all and be the player you could be because? Everything you know, you're told everything you do is great, and you know he had one good year in 2018. Sorry, 2019 was his best year, um, but he, he he got a contract without playing a great season, and and that was and I think that was just the everything wrong with the previous regime. So you cut bait, you you save six and a half seven million dollars in that region, 
um, and and it get you know it's further money under the cap when you take a JJ as well. But then the, the probably a more surprising cut, considering you trade a third round pick for him. Again, I know a huge overpayment in, in, in treating draft picks like they're like like they're not not important to your roster composition and the, the makeup of your salary cap. But cutting Duke Johnson, whilst at the same time making sounds that you want to keep David Johnson because you've already got two point one million dead hit, you save five by cutting Duke. I just think my I think we'll always look back on Duke Johnson as one. An overpayment. Why you paid a, a you know the third running back on a team a third round pick to get him when he publicly outed the organization saying he didn't want to be there, falling out with his quarterback publicly. So you, you know it was a buyer's market at that point, and they never used them. They didn't. They, they never used them in a way that he should have been using. He's a, a cheat code in the passing game, and you know and, he, and people always remember the Taiwan Jones. Uh, um, set up the field goal in the, in the playoff game but it was Duke that got I think it was a third and 16 right before that and he just was never used to his full capability whether it been running outside zone games as a, ch- as a change of pace um, in the running game or just being you know the primary weapon play design wheel routes all the great stuff you saw with James White and all these guys from New England all these years they never carved that role out for him and I think they they, they sold themselves him and, and the offence with Watson short by just not getting the best out of Duke Johnson yeah, I, I never understood why they why make that move if you're not gonna use this guy, or if you if you're unsure of how to use the guy. Like it seemed like it was one or the other. Like they either refused to or they didn't know how to. But either way, it never seemed like he was being used enough. And then it you know eventually, because of attrition last season, you get to the point to where you have to overexpose the guy. Um, for a br- for a brief period, <laughs> you know, and so that that was and he gets hurt. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like a it's almost like a sick joke, you know, uh, because when he was healthy and when you had an opportunity to really maximize him, you didn't do it. Um, and 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 right, the overpay. You know, it was one of the earlier examples of how bad this thing is, could really get. You know, is, is in terms of you know lopsided deals or or deals that didn't make a lot of sense. But as far as cutting guys, man, I I don't get hey, cut all these guys that are overpaid. You're not gonna win. With them or without them. You know, like the the both the Johnsons, great guys, gotta go. You know, both overpaid, gotta go. Now I, I get the logic and hey, maybe you can restructure with David Johnson. Not necessary. and if they if they do fine, but not necessary. Cut these guys. Let these guys go. Um, Woodney Merciless should be gone already. Don't know why he's still on the team. Why we haven't heard about that already? Um, the, I, I don't understand. You know, we're gonna keep, we're, we're gonna cut some fat, but we're gonna keep, you know, some of the other. Like, no, cut, cut all the fat. Start over. Yeah. Get minimum guys, undrafted guys. I don't care. Late round guys. Get these guys in there until you can fully actually know what you're doing here. Uh, but you gotta. It's time to cut this fat. You know, especially. Especially, you know, if this Deshaun Watson thing comes to fruition and with or without him, you're rebuilding this team. You know, you, you got to make these decisions. So, you know, the idea that you're going to, you know, cut Duke Johnson, but keep David Johnson, you know, for what? Yeah, yeah. For what? You, I, I thought I thought maybe uh, Zach Fulton might have been a great 
wait to see if this is a new regime because he got restructured last year. He's still got three million on the cap. You can save by cutting him. Now the fact they've cut Nick Martin, they've maybe just looked at the two and go, well, one of them's got to go. As you said, basic analysis of where's the value. You get a lower cap hit, and you've got a guy who's arguably a better center. Right. Um, but then you've got Bernardo McKinney, who's seven million on the cap. You can save, and you've got uh, Brandon Dunn as well for three point two five. So you know there's a there's an you know another you know another ten over ten million there, thirty million you can save. Uh, on the, on the cap, um, it looks like PG Hall, Farrell Brown, AJ Moore, all those guys on restricted tenders. If they do a role on special teams and you can get a bet out of them on either side of the ball, yeah, I think they're no brainers, aren't they? Because it's con- again, it's co- cost control with a restricted tender. And I thought, like, if you if you go back to the, albeit it was another epic loss, but in, in week seventeen, I thought Farrell Brown started looking like he could be a starting tight end in this offense, albeit with Watson, but. And PJ Hall flashed, and AJ Moore, you know, he kind of does what he did. He got an injury in Pittsburgh, I think, that game, and they actually they actually missed him, <laughs> just coming in as a sort of third safety. But but the, you know, I think all those guys, you can, you can't you can't uh, argue, you know, argue too much with them being retained. Uh, but they've got a number, another number of of decisions to make, and another third round pick that was disbanded or or given away with Gary and Connolly didn't play down last year. What do you think about bringing him back? The thing with Gary and Con- we still don't have any answers on what the hell's going on with that ankle. You know, I- I'd imagine that he should be in a better place, but uh, with Gary and Conley, it-, it seems like you know I-, I cannot imagine at this point bringing him back, even though obviously they are desperate in that position group. Um, so you know, I-, I don't I don't see it. Don't really know what the market for him is. Not really sure what his health is. Um, like where exactly Gary on Conley is the fact that he didn't play and that ankle that the ankle surgery went as poorly as it did um, or whatever exactly happened there nerve damage or, you know, something really weird happened with that, with that surgery, you know, and I think there's just so many question marks there, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're moving on. That's another one of those losses that you're cutting. Philip Gaines, um, He'll be gone. Vernon Hargreaves. I don't think you bring those guys back. I think there's too much bad tape to to do that to them, far less uh, to the team. Um, Ty Adams is an interesting one though, because I think he, I think he views himself as a guy who's setting himself up for a payday. He's, I, I think his tape was mixed, um, but certainly he thinks he is. But he's 29. He's a late, you know, he's a late guy in the league. He's bounced around a lot of a lot of squads and. He's not been paid till this point, so I, unless he comes, you know, for a one or two million deal, I don't see him paying. But I, I think a guy, if you look, who we've got on the on the practice on, or on the field, who's who's not been healthy, and I don't know if his legs have gone. But I've always wondered all last season what happened to Dylan Cole, and I think he would be a better fit for this four three Lovey Smith defense because at least he could. Well, he, at one point he could he could move and cover that, you know, and 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 drop and drop and give good depth, which you need to do with the three linebackers in, in this kind of scheme. Um, I don't know if his if the injuries have just mounted up and he's gone because he's not looked like the same player or been able to be on the field certainly in the last couple of years. But a couple of questions at linebacker and it could be you know, Cunningham and plus new guys. I don't know. Yeah, well, the thing about about Cole is if you want him, you should be able to afford him. Like Dylan Dylan yeah. Cole is not at a point where, like with Adams, is you know a different case where 
he he could outprice you at some point. Like there could there could be a, a market for him. I don't see that being the same thing with Cole, especially with his injury history. Now the point you make is a good one because yeah, much better in coverage can get from sideline to sideline, a little bit undersized. Um, but you know, he again he can move, and that's what you that's what you need in today's NFL linebackers is a guy who can move the way, well at least the way they Dylan Cole could move. Before the leg and yeah. and all of these all of these di- things that he's dealt with, um, it is concerning that even when it seems like he did get healthy or was able to play, that he wasn't able to get on the field as much. And so, what is that indicative of something of, of, about where he is at this point? Um, I'm not sure. So, um, so D- Dylan Cole is somebody who. I don't mind seeing come back because I assume that you can get him for the bare minimum. Uh, whereas uh, with, with Terrell Adams, that one's a, a little bit more interesting because what exactly is the market for him? You'd hate to you'd hate to see them overpay for you know a guy who had mixtape and like you said, is a late bloomer and quite honestly, you know, had some flashes and some good moments, but isn't even as good as the guy you know as the last guy that you possibly overpaid that you're gonna have to end up cutting in mckinney you know so yeah uh, so what exactly does that look like i'm not i'm not entirely sure well i think you'll see more turnover as well because i can't see brennan scarlet coming back um when he just put out so much tape they just couldn't set the edge so you, you're never and i don't think he's a fit in in a in a, in a four three i don't think he's a fit in a three four either or whatever that you know whatever base they were playing but he was overexposed. Scarlett was yeah. overexposed. He, that's a guy who never should play as much as they've played that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, he, he is what he is, kind of a reserve guy who was really asked to play a, a, a way too prominent of a role in this defense. And so now that he's overexposed, it's like now you want to stay away from the guy. When Whereas when they had him sort of more so in his role, you maybe, you maybe liked him in his, in his proper role. You know, now it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay on that entirely, right? Yeah, and I think the on staying with the defense, I think a, a, another guy who was probably overexposed did actually flash towards the end of the season with Carlos Watkins. Never really played up to his draft slate and showed decent production from Clemson, but he's he's a guy that you know again he's I think he's like all these guys I suppose that if, you know if they were on this team and they're potential free agents and they're not being signed. The talent's probably questionable, so I think he's another guy who you can who you can put down to being a vet minimum, and and yeah, we'll take you if you want to stay. If not, go and take your chances elsewhere. Yeah, like what what could Carlos Watkins' market possibly be? You know, um, now maybe maybe they could surprise me, but yeah, that's that's another yeah. minimum guy. Now, like I, I said, you know, wholesale get rid of everybody, but you do have to field a team, right? You do yeah. have to field a team. And, you know, Carlos Watkins, like you said, shows some flashes. A little bit different from Brandon Dunn, from, from Brandon Dunn who, you know, to be honest, did, did not flash at all. So, you know, that's an easy decision. Whereas with Carlos Watkins, if you can get him for minimum, as you said, yeah, you have him in there because you got to field a team. But this is not somebody that, you know, you're investing long term, giving a significant amount of guaranteed money to. And I can't imagine who who would be. Uh, so yeah, at this point, it should be up to Carlos Watkins because there's sort of a bare minimum that you're willing to that you're willing to do to to, to keep him. 
Um, and if he's willing to do that, cool. If he wants to be here, cool. And if not, you know, one thing I was going to say earlier that I, I think everyone is having to reckon with, un- unless they're in a position to, you know, to get over and get and be overpaid, you know, everyone's got to sit around and think, you know, if Deshaun Watson and J.J. Watt don't want to be here, why would I, you know, and that, that yeah. and that's not to say that I'm Deshaun Watson or J.J. Watt, but but it says something when guys like that, you know, not only don't want to be here, but are actively trying to get out, you know. So w- what is the trickle down effect for for all of these guys from, you know, <laughs> from those top guys all the way down to a Carlos Watkins? You know, can you? Yeah. You know, you're going to be able to field a team. You're offering money. These minimum guys, <laughs> you're going to be able to get somebody. But what is the effect of that? You know, I, I'm very much fascinated to see, like, what, you know, could it be that Carlos yeah. Watkins is like the best that they can do on a defensive line that so badly needs an upgrade? You know, uh, you're going through a scheme change. You need new players. Weird reputation thing going on that very much has to do with who you can get on the field. I, I think one guy who will have a market is Rod Johnson, which is funny to say because I think when you saw his play last year when he filled in in spots, when you heard people talk about him in training camp the year prior, when he came in and filled in for Titus Howard when he got injured in 2019, the, the two games he played in 20 when the Tunsil missed when he was had the, the bout of sickness. I think similarly to what Kendall Lamb had in the year that he played left tackle in, in uh, 2018 and left and got a 6 million APY with the Browns. I think he's a guy that that could potentially get get some run because if you think of him, he probably thinks, well, I'm good enough to start. They've, they've brought in other guys. They've traded up to get Charlie Heck when I was still here. He's their obvious swing tackle, and he'll go and get paid. And I think you you probably will. But again, it's just another example of how this roster's mismanaged, and he was probably a serviceable left tackle, or at least a swing tackle as your as your primary guy, uh, which they've just overlooked. He'll probably go and play somewhere else and get some money and and do well for himself, you know, because he was he, he bounced around after getting drafted in Cleveland, coming out of Florida State. But he's he's you know I think he's he's shown more than capable. He belongs in the league. Yeah, so the thing that stands out to me, sort of the chain, my chain reaction thought with Rod Johnson is how the tackles have been mismanaged or how getting tackles, approaching the tackle spot has been mismanaged. Just from the standpoint that I don't know how good of a left tackle Titus Howard could be, but I feel pretty confident that he could be a left tackle which renders the Laramie Tunsil deal beyond unnecessary and excessive um, when you think of the fact that they had just drafted Titus Howard when they made that move. Um, I, I know at the time they were still, I guess, you know, bought in on Matt Khalil or thought that that might work uh, for whatever reason. But the fact that they didn't see that in Titus Howard was a misstep. And then that Roger yeah. Johnson then could have been your right tackle. Um, and you have your draft picks. Uh, maybe maybe you're still as bad this year anyway, um, and you get that number three pick. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> it, it it just that that's what it makes me think of. It's like yeah, this there's gonna be a market for this guy. 
Um, but he shouldn't have. He probably shouldn't have ever been the swing tackle. They just drafted the guy who's a project, you know, in Charlie Heck, who should be the swing tackle. And Roger Johnson could have easily been the guy on the right side, um, and you could still have those draft picks and not be paying Laramie Tunzel, you know, 20, 20 plus million dollars a year, uh, a laughable contract that that you know agents who agents and teams who negotiate these deals with you know these other tackles like don't even like they don't even consider the Larry Mutantel deal. They're just like <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see that thing that Bill O'Brien and Larry Mutantel did? Ha and, and Jack used to be did. Ha you know and then they then they go on and be realistic about their business, you know. That's how that's how bad that was. So so Roger Johnson, you know, a capable guy you know, could have easily could have easily been that guy, been a part of your future, and probably, if I had to guess, is another one who doesn't want to be here anymore. You know, like like yeah. for what? To why why would you want to be the swing tackle on a losing football team? You know, when when you have a chance to maximize your potential. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just it's just another example of so many that when they all culminate you're in a position where you're not in a you're not a football team that's going to be able to be competitive in 2021. I think it's I think the hitting rock bottom will probably be somewhere in the midst of 21 when you start to see the 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 knock-on effect still rolling down the hill of all these bad moves that have been made. And I think I, when I when I think about it and and you think is there any is is are there any reasons to watch this team in twenty one? I think you know there's there's a lot to the off season to be played out, and you, they could patch it up admirably. Um, but it feels like there's so many forces and so many historical decisions piling up against this team. It's it, it's tough to to make any kind of positive case on Sunday, apart from you might just want to stick red zone on <laughs> and see how it pans out, rather than. Uh, than, than watch watch every down of this of this ball club in twenty one. Well, you know one of the one of the big topics that we've been having ever since I don't know. Let's see when I guess since it was reported, like definitely that Deshaun Watson had officially asked for a trade. You know, so the, you know the rumors had been circulating before that, but whenever ever since then, one of the Go-to topics on radio has been who goes on like the the brochure on the pamphlet on the like who do they put on the posters? <laughs> yeah. Who do the Texans market and brand if Deshaun Watson is traded? You know, and even if he's not, like okay, you put Deshaun Watson on there. Who else? You know, I guess just like Justin Reed and Zach Cunningham and Laramie Tunsil. I mean, and been absent of Deshaun Watson. <laughs> look, look at that brochure. You know, you know, part of the reason why I'm going to continue to watch him is just because that's just what I do. I'm, you know, just it's what I do and what I've done. And then now, with the job I have, I even get paid to do it. I'd probably do it even if I didn't get paid. But uh, some some en- enjoyment in is the schedule. I and that was one of the things that I did last year. I was like, well, at least I'll get to see Aaron Rodgers in person. You almost watch your team just to see the opponent, you know, how do they stack up? How do they measure up? Sure. But there's not a lot there from an entertainment standpoint. So, you know, it's like, well, yeah, 
I'm just as interested to watch the Cardinals, <laughs> unfortunately. I'm just as interested to see, uh, you know, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt as I am in D- David Johnson and Zach Cunningham, you know. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be a difficult watch. Yeah, because I think when you look at this, when you look at the schedule, and obviously that will come out the week before the draft, but you've got the potential of okay, and just say Watson does hold out, the alternative is very, I would say, put maybe a 15 percent chance he does actually suit up and play these games. But you've got the Jets visiting NRG, you've got a road trip to Miami in there, and you've also got a road trip to Arizona that we touched on earlier. So of all those games. Um, you're going to have your face rubbed in it at some point. And I think that's, you know, and getting, if it was, you know, to be heavily defeated by a Watson Jets or Miami team or whether it's to be lose to Hopkins and, and JJ and Scott and Scottsdale, then it's not all that appealing, is it? I think, I mean, and ironically, I think probably detecting one chance of a primetime game is probably at Arizona. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. That, that, I mean, that's got to be the only one. I mean, they didn't have but one plus, you know, I guess yeah, t- technically two national games if you count Thanksgiving. You know, the opener against Kansas City, and then obviously the Thanksgiving game everybody gets to see. Uh, but you know, other than that, and then so there's no reason for them to have one other than maybe that one. Or uh, yeah, man, that's a. That is a, that is actually a good one. I'll be interested to see how that how that schedule pans out because again, you know, there's another thing when you're promoting matchups. Who you're the who who in the Houston? You know, normally you go Deshaun Watson in the Houston Texans, JJ Watt in the Houston Texans. Who in the Houston Texans in this case? You know, you don't. There's no one left. <laughs> there's no one. There's, there's no one there's, left. There's nothing like that. Now, to be fair. There's still opportunity for that to, you know, with this Deshaun Watson thing in the trade, there's still opportunity for that type of marketable face or name to to arrive. I mean, they can they can stretch it with one of these, you know, uh, with one of these uh, quarterback prospects. Right. You know, if it's a I don't know if it's a Zach Wilson or or, or I guess Justin Fields might be the most famous of them, you know. But I, I, you know, I think he might also be the, the maybe perhaps the worst. Who knows? So um, you know that that that's going to be really fascinating. How they even how they even market the team? How they even are able to brand the team? Yeah, and I think that's it, and that's what it comes to the, the the heart of it, isn't it? And I think the the point of change is I think you've got well, you've got that in the background, but I don't really care about that. They don't care about what people think about them. They've shown that consistently right through the head coach and GM hire process. That's very much secondary to them. They trust us to do the right thing. Change is hard and all this kind of BS that they throw at us. But I keep, I keep going back to the, the point of, like I think he's a very, Casario is a very principled, process-orientated guy. Um, but they're just small moves like bringing back Dontre Hilliard, who was a guy who was signed before he was even here is one of the first guys to come back and sign. And you just wonder how much it, partly the pressures of other people or the influence of the consensus building and they doing decision-making, will there come to a point where they think they've got 
it might be in the draft room when he's got every single area scout or the ones that are left anyway they've let go a few so far but any area scout you know and every personnel guy in in that in that war room and did he pull the trigger when somebody phones up on draft day and say you know when the whole build up after free agency because you're not going to be able to set the light in free agency does he hold his nerve and just say no to everything and just hope that either that you know because ultimately that's probably when you're going to get the biggest offer now if you don't take that offer you probably then sit on it for another eight nine months and it's just eight nine months of this tailspin perpetuous nothingness you know that that they're in and it's uh and how much how long do the the sponsors how long does the the quality candidates that there are that they can attract for the new president the new president if they do hire one um when free agents are turning them down when they have to go out there you know the report means they say cal why didn't he says well, how come i never signed this guy thought you liked them didn't want to come you know and all this kind of stuff and i think as it, i keep saying i just don't think we've hit rock bottom yet and i think there's going to be a, a moment where you'll feel it. And I think we're just kind of, it's almost like, you know, I think if I think of all the, the like in this country right now, we've got like everybody's kind of been given like a continuous stimulus check for, for all the issues with COVID. Nobody's actually felt the, felt the real impact yet and it's still to come. And I don't, and I, I think it'll take people by surprise. And I think this is kind of the same. So I hope not, but it, it certainly looks like it's, it's going to be tough, but it's, as you said, I think you'd still watch it. And I, I I've heard people, you know, say you're kind of married to the game or you're married to the team or, or what have you. And I suppose that's true. Um, but how how long and how much do you test people's patience and loyalties? It's got to break at some point. And that goes for your players just as much as it does your fans. Yeah, no, totally. I, 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 It's funny, I was listening to some radio the other day where, you know, somebody was complaining about spring training, watching spring training. And I'm thinking... Hey man, you don't have to watch spring training. Like, go watch a movie, go <laughs> yeah. take a walk, exercise. I don't know. You don't have to do that. Like, I don't know if he just wanted to have a hot take or what it was. But it's the same thing with the Texans. You're like, we, we, we are. This is an opt-in thing, you know. So we're 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 here for it. Uh, you know, whether it's whether it seems worth our while or not. Um, there is a charm, I think, to and this is not to credit the Texans regime at all for the situation that we're in. But there is a charm to following. And it almost reminds me of the that ridiculous brick by brick thing that Cal said. But there is a charm to following your team build something from the ground up. I think that's why people yeah. also have been able to get so enamored with the Deshaun Watson trade scenarios, uh, fake trade proposals, who says no, these sort of things that, you know, that that we've been doing in the, in the content creation business. And especially if you're a fan, because there is something to that, to, to, to wanting to watch it, you know, to sort of grow. Um, But with Casario, with respect to Casario, you know, I, I I am concerned with, you know, the way I understand the power structure and dynamic to work is, you know, Jack Easterby has a voice and, and, and an influence and, and he has input, but that Chris Casario has ultimate veto power when it comes to, um, you know, some of these more critical roster issues like they're like if Casario's against it, they're not going to do it just because Jack suggested it. But. Jack's still there suggesting stuff. 
and he's not going to stop suggesting stuff and he's going to be around and uh to just in my eyes sort of a, just a little bit of an agitator uh you know i was listening to john mcclain talk about it you know one of our well-known probably the most well-known texans insider that we that there is and he was basically explaining that Nick Casario and Cal McNair meet independently, um, but not nearly as frequently as Cal McNair and Jack Easterby do. You know, they talk or meet basically every day. Uh, now, Nick Casario, it could just be because he's a lot more busy or a lot busier. <laughs> um, but but that's that's still the, the 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 power dynamic and communication dynamic of it all is that. Jack Jack Easterby is in is in the ear of both Cal McNair and um, and Nick Casario. So like like what does that mean when we start to hit these critical moments, like the moments leading up to the draft? You know, when you know when you when you get that best deal, um, when you have to make a decision on whether you want to bet on the uncertainty of the next nine months, like you talk about the next. You know, what's the next draft class going to look like, you know, and, and, and what's Deshaun Watson's not necessarily just his market, but, you know, what what can teams offer in comparison to what you might be able to get right now? Um, you know, I question what, you know, who all and what all is, is influencing everything, you know, uh, so. You know, Nick Nick Casario, I think, is a is a capable personnel guy, but it, but if it only if only it could be that simple, right? And I don't I don't think it is. I don't think it is for a second. Yeah, I think so. And I think that I think I suppose the 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 pressure of a GM goes the other way. And you know, we talked about the, the the potential Chicago. You know, somebody maybe just pulls goes to draft day after free agency and says, look. Here's the here's the top end picks of our next three years and see what you think you know and and, and they just go for it because as you said that trickle on effect and that 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 shadow that has continued to be cast over this franchise will continue to be and to sit and think you're going to do this for another whole year uh, and be the and be the butt of all jokes and the and the complete you know the you know the right at the at the, at the, at the pits of of mediocrity I think is 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 probably a position that will get to everybody depend you know regardless of how hard-headed how invest in the process and faith and all this other stuff that goes with it everybody's got a breaking point and you we, i suppose that's probably what we're waiting on right especially for the you know for, for those for those who are left like it seems like a place that the texans are essentially a, a destination now that you are if you don't have any other options you know like it's not one of those places where you're weighing. Okay, well, do I want to go? Do I want to do this one or this one? Well, no. This I I only do this one if I can't do these other ones, right? That that's I'm I'm only here because I can't get out. That'll be Deshaun Watson if we ever see him suit up, right? That that that'll be the only explanation for Deshaun Watson ever playing for the Texans again. It'll be because for whatever reason he couldn't get out. <laughs> You know, yeah, and, and 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 what a horrible place to to be. Committed to excellence. That is, uh, I'm sure he was probably excellent at Mario Kart. Or I mean, what was that? Probably would have been what 2006. So what's that? He's probably been playing a 
Yeah, uh, N64. Could be no, Grand, what is it? Could it be Grand Theft Auto? Should have been good uh, at that. Yeah, he was. He was maybe excellent at that. Uh, yeah. I, 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 you know what? You know what game I? You know what game I imagine he doesn't play? Madden. Madden. <laughs> Madden. Because he doesn't yeah. know how to run a team. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, you think commit to excellence. If if, if only there were uh, some transferable skills about how to run a, a multi-million-dollar business operation. Through video games, and we'd all be uh, we'd all be in a better place, and we might not be in this sorry state. But uh, Brandon, thank you very much for your time, my man. Always a pleasure, and uh, always a lengthy discussion, but a good one. So I appreciate your time, man, and appreciate you for coming on and joining us again. Thanks for having me, man. It's always fun, man.